0: You are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is Series 5, Episode 9 for Friday, November the 3rd, 2023. It's JJ Sefton, along with my good friend, co-blogger, and colleague CBD. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, Scott McKay is a contributing editor at The American Spectator. He's also a publisher of The Hayride. Uh, I believe it's hayride.com. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Which offers. Good The Hayride, which offers news and commentary on Louisiana and national politics, as well as Reviver.com, which is spelled R-V-I-V-R.com, a national political news aggregation and opinion site. Uh, Also, he is the author of a a book called The Revivalist Manifesto, How Patriots Can Win the Next American Era. But we are here to discuss uh, Scott's brand new book, which is going to be or is hot off the presses, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, It's All Obama. So uh, Scott, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, it's a real honor to be with you guys. I'm I'm a massive, massive fan of of uh, the Ace of Spades site. In fact, I, I, like as far back as I go in sort of the conservative blogosphere, uh, I think AOS was like the first uh, and and prime uh, inspiration for what we do at the Hayride and and some of the other things that I that I work on. So uh, uh, this is a real treat.
2: Well, thank you for joining us. Uh one one thing I'd like to take you to task about is the is how subtle the your uh title <laughs> for your new book is. Racism, <laughs> Revenge and Ruin. It's all Obama. I mean, come on, say what you really mean.
1: Well, I actually uh the guys at All Seasons sort of picked the title. If it was if it was up to me, I would have done American Saboteur as uh as the uh the title of the book, but uh uh, racism, Revenge and Ruin really kind of captures the content of of what's in it. it. It's not a history book so much as that it's, it's a primer on, you know, why we're dealing with what we're dealing with now, uh, because practically all of the horribles that you see in the Biden administration are things that have simply metastasized from origins in the Obama administration. And And doing the research, it just struck me how amazingly uh, the country has changed over the last 15, 16 years since Obama came on the scene. Um, You know, and he had this whole thing about fundamentally transforming America. And he was basically a failed president in terms of doing things that actually made people's lives better. But he managed that fundamental transformation anyway, which is a lot of what the book is about.
0: Well, you know, he did exactly what he said. I mean, obviously, as as you so so masterfully in the book show is that here is a man who was a you know he he was uh, basically an image he was this supposedly this vessel with which people would project their hopes and and dreams on and blah 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 but he was pimped so to speak as as a moderate as joe biden called him you know he's a he's an articulate clean black guy who could speak jive whenever he wants to but you know, he was supposedly this you know this moderate guy who was going to bring everybody together. And as you point out in his very famous speech, I believe it was it was either his uh, the speech at the national convention or the one after the Jeremiah Wright or fluffle, where he basically was sort of shouting all the platitudes about how america is wonderful and we're going to come together and make it even better than it is and so on and so forth and peace love and understanding and he just basically did just the opposite when he when he when he took power and it's just i mean just as as, a, as an anecdotal you know thought when he first, when we were all seeing all this which the press was i mean he couldn't have come to power without the press but which which uh, sub you know which which subsumed it or or just you know camouflaged it uh basically i was shouting the warning bells to all my friends and i'll never forget a guy i went went to school with he's a very smart guy a very sharp guy and when i gave him all the evidence of jeremiah wright and frank marshall davis and so on and so forth he said well you know something i'm just going to vote for him because he's black and i think it's going to be good for the country and at that point i just kind of threw up my hands and said we're we're screwed
1: yeah that that was um the value proposition of barack obama Uh, in 2008 it had nothing to do with policy it had nothing it had nothing to do with anything it was you elect this guy president and we will put this race stuff to bed once and for all that was the value proposition and and the fact that you know for whatever reason uh the republican party couldn't come up with anybody better than john mccain who republicans did not want to vote for much less anybody else um you know the whole country was like eh. We don't really want to make McCain president, so let's give this guy a shot. Maybe it'll it'll finish the race stuff. And I mean, you want to talk about opening Pandora's box was this, because you I mean, you put this guy in office, and I mean, it was no time flat, starting with the new Black Panther case. And and there are details about that that really never even got out. I mean, it was just, you know, well, these guys were standing in front of this polling place um and they were, you know, intimidating people. That's not what they were doing. These guys were yelling at white ladies who were showing up at the bowling place, you know, like, how do you like it? You're going to get ruled by the black man now. I mean, this kind of stuff and threatening to beat these women with truncheons. And Obama's you know, Justice Department takes over and the case is live and they're like, we're not going to prosecute that, which was a massive signal of what was coming.
2: Yeah, well, that was his. That was his uh, civilian army that was uh, bigger and more powerful than the, uh, the than the military. And uh, uh-huh. he let, let's face it, he did a very, very good job of motivating, of mobilizing a a certain percentage of of Black America and and uh-huh. other minorities within within this country to to actively foment what what I would call rebellion against the you know the normal <laughs> order of things in the United States. And this and you know it, what makes me saddest about this whole mess that that Obama has created, was that it was profoundly racist to elevate him to the presidency because he was, first of all, he was incompetent. He had no experience. He had failed at pretty much everything he had ever done except for the fact that he, his skin color propelled him into these positions for which he was completely unprepared. and Now, when you look at him after his presidency, he is the epitome of the champagne socialist it's unbelievable to me that people still take him seriously
1: absolutely i mean you know the guy talks about climate change over and over and over again then he buys a place on the beach in martha's vineyard um you know and and, and he also has a place on on the beach in hawaii um it's 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 hilarious to an extent how utterly cynical everything about the obama brand and an Obama message has always been. Um, I I mean, I I don't think it gets a stretch at all to say this guy lied his way into office. Um, And people have spent a lot of time trying to diagnose exactly, you know, who Barack Obama is. Um, But in, and I relied on some really, really good research done by, you know, guys like Paul Kangor and um, uh, Joel Gilbert and uh, Stanley Kurtz uh, and Ed Klein. Um, who've all written you know, pretty exhaustive pieces on Obama, uh, books on Obama. Um, and it's to me, it's fairly obvious that Barack Obama is Frank Marshall Davis's child, whether biologically or otherwise. Uh, because if you go back and you start reading the things that Frank Marshall Davis wrote for those communist newspapers that he edited, all of it came to life when Obama was president. I mean, this was this is the Communist Party USA taking over the Democratic Party and then making a profound influence on the United States as a whole. Um, and it was done with a smiling face in the name of racial diversity and racial harmony. Um, and none of it was true. And it's 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 an amazing thing to see happen Um A country that was at the absolute pinnacle of geopolitical, economic, um, cultural supremacy, such as the Roman Empire, the the Mongol Empire. I mean, you go back through history, nobody had ever achieved the heights that the United States had. Um, and, And to see what this guy has done to this country in 15 years, where, you know, half the country thinks that we're not long for this world as a republic.
0: Very true. And, you know, it's it's strange to sort of like we're here now with with the butchery going on in the Middle East, with the everything falling apart, thanks to Biden, which it really is Obama's third term, which I mean, I actually wanted to ask you about that, because in the book, you I don't know if it's you mentioned it as Obama's fifth term coming up but with, with potentially with, I don't know who it is going to be, Newsom or Biden or whoever, but be that as it may, it's, you know, we're sort of sitting here watching this train wreck and as, and we're sort of the frog in the pot where the water is being turned up to boil. And you're sort right. of sitting here going, what the hell is going on? Right. And it seems like if you look back on all the depredations that started with Obama, really, and me even going back into after 9-11 with, with George W. Bush, when, you know, the no blood for oil thing and all the crazy started coming out of the woodwork very quickly. Um, you know you sort of watch it and then now as, that all seems very quaint and it's sort of Halcyon days I wish it was only right. as crazy as it was in, in 2001 or 2008 but this is just you know and now go back even further and and, and I think this was our fatal conceit that uh, during the Reagan years we all thought we all laughed at the hippies and the unwashed people like you know whoever it was Bill Ayers or you know or whoever you know the weatherman and all the hippies are gone you know J- Jerry Ruben had, had uh, cut his hair and he and his wife became, you know, hipsters and uh, yuppies and so on and so forth. And we thought, well, this is it. It's a new golden age. America is back, baby. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, like like a chestburster coming out, uh, you know, from alien. Here we are with Obama. And now here we are with America, basically almost virtually ruined uh, from from coast to coast and, 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 and societally in every way possible. Turning into a banana republic and a racist banana republic, and uh, you know, we're all of a sudden the underground. You know, the, the, the loonies are in charge of the asylum.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And um, I, I go back to the you know Andrew Breitbart's famous quote, right, which is politics is downstream from culture, and from the late 80s which was i think like you know i would say 1988 would have been the the real pinnacle of american you know culture and 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 geopolitics in terms of the history of the country you go from 1988 to really you know 2008 um and and just that 20 year period was a period of cultural degradation that has now led to political and economic degradation of the country. And, you know, the real, that's where conservatives had dropped the ball, not fighting in the culture. And the only folks that even paid attention to the culture were sort of the religious right. But they were trying to fight cultural battles in politics, rather than in the culture. Um, And nobody else was even paying attention. And now at the very sort of last minute, you're starting to see conservatives trying to fight in the culture and actually having a little success um, because the left has so just destroyed itself from the standpoint of the the corruption of the institutions that they've controlled. Um, You know, I mean, you see like what Angel Studios is doing, for example, compared to what Hollywood does.
2: And making a ton of money doing it.
1: Yeah, so in other words, like you stop and you go, "Gosh, what if we'd spent the '90s doing Angel Studios things, right?" Like, what what could that have looked like? Um, but I mean, the culture uh, degrading itself over those twenty years between '88 and 2008 is what produced Barack Obama, um, because you know, 1988 America, which I would which I would say was, was no more racist than 2008 America. Um, would have looked at Barack Obama and said, "Hell no!" You know, not somebody who who you know was basically raised by a bunch of communists, uh, who you know w- was I mean, um, put himself out there as a Marxist and was an Acorn organizer. Like, no, we're going to make a guy like that president. Um, and in two by two thousand eight, it was you know, yeah, sure, why not? Because we like rebels who hate America. Well,
2: we um, have to. You have to. Look at the foundations of, of that cultural degradation. And I, I you know, my, my favorite whipping boy is, uh, is LBJ. You know, he took, he took black America, which was rapidly oh, yeah. moving into the middle class, and he destroyed them. And, yeah. uh, you know, by, by making them dependent on government through various social welfare programs. Um, but without Lyndon Baines Johnson, I don't think that Barack Obama could have done what he did um and by the way that that cultural degradation from 88 to 2008 is exactly right um but again that would not have been possible had black america descended into poverty rather than emerged into the, into a rapidly growing black middle class
1: yeah well and uh, this you know, I, uh, you go back to daniel patrick monahan when he was working for jfk and did that famous study on you know inner city america and said, "Look, you know, you can't have disorganized families if you want to have social mobility. It just doesn't work. Um, the kids don't learn the values they need to succeed. And uh, you know, they told Moynihan to sh- shut up. They didn't want to hear it. Um, and and you know, and he did. And he ended up having a, a, a pretty good political career. But I mean, the Daniel Patrick Moynihan liberals are gone. They don't exist anymore." I mean, the closest thing to that you can find is like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, who really aren't particularly uh, good avatars for the Moynihan style. But everybody else has either, you know, either they were always a far left, um, um, you know, socialist or they became one because that's the way the herd was was moving. But, I, you know, like I always scold people when they use the word liberal now because it doesn't exist. That's that's mm-hmm. an obsolete term, um, you know. And and Barack Obama, I think, was the, was the guy when when he and his crew came along and took the Democratic Party over. Um, you know that marked the end of liberalism in uh, in America from the from at least from a Democrat standpoint, because you know I I mean they just changed it. Like, look, we're not liberals anymore. We don't believe in liberty. What we believe is. Uh, totalitarianism of a stripe that is uh better marketed than, you know, the 20th century version. You know, I mean it's it's not about we're going to send uh the troops out to shoot everybody. It's we're going to cancel you and we're going to destroy your livelihood and we're going to um you know, we're going to do uh kind of soft power things to ruin uh whatever opposition that we might have. And uh yeah, it's
0: kind of- you, you just to go back. You made uh, you know about the about the Moynihan report. You made an amazing observation. It's one that I've tried to do in my columns, but you you just hit, you hit the nail on the head beautifully. It's basically the fact that the the whole purpose of these things, you know, pu- putatively was to to elevate black people and to give them a leg up and this and that and all these advantages monetarily that they never had because of racism, blah blah blah. But essentially, what it did was to replace the 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 nuclear family. Of the black of the black family with that of the government and the state will provide everything for you and 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 you because you cannot make it on your own because America is, is a structurally and system system systemically racist country. And that is so evil and so horrible and that right. for three, four, however many generations of black people and now that whole mentality is creeping in you know, to, to, to other areas like, like yeah. white people and, you know, college graduates. Well, we have nothing. We, you know, capitalism now it's, forget about it's systemically racist capitalism and the free market is a crock of, you know what? And so we need the government to help us. And, and we want a hand out. So uh, give us, you know, cancel our student loans and give us this and give us that and so on and so forth. It is absolutely insidious yeah. what this has done. Totally well, destroyed. The, uh...
1: it, you know, and, and, and at the time that Moynihan wrote that report, 80 percent of black kids in America were the product of two parent families. That mm-hmm. number is now 20 percent. Um. So, you know, and this was that this was like at the outset of the great society. Right. Like at, at the time, you know, four out of every five black kids were, uh, you know, were. From a familial standpoint, they were positioned for success based on what we already know are the societal factors that lead best to that, um, and and they they've destroyed it. And I, the other day, well, not the other day. Now it's a few weeks ago. I ran across, uh, I guess it was exit polling from twenty twenty two, and it, to me, it's the like the four most important numbers in in American society. Okay which are that married men are R plus 20, married women are R plus 14, unmarried men are R plus seven, and unmarried women are D plus 37, okay? <laughs> I mean, like single single women are the absolute lifeblood of the Democrat Party, all right? Um, and And I mean, the difference, I mean, you're talking about a 57 point difference between married women and single women. And like, this is something that I I say this, once you see this, you can't unsee it. All right. The people who we know, the people who control all cultural institutions in America are, you know, not just Democrats, but leftists. Okay, so and, and one of the things that we know about those folks is that everything is political. So take those four numbers and just apply them as a screen to everything you see in culture and politics in America. Right. And and what you get, and this has been the case since the early 60s, really, is an all out effort to make as many single women in America as possible. Right. Um, You know, whether it's whether it's abortion policy, whether it's uh, third wave feminism, whether it's, you know, like constant agitation along gender lines. Um, you know, everything about this is to try to keep women from getting married um, and even keep men from getting married because, you know, there's a there's a 13 point swing from married guys to unmarried guys. Um, and the, like when you start to look at whether it's TV commercials where they they disparage all the fathers or, you know, TV shows, movies. I mean, every action film, it's the girls beating up the guys. Like, I'm binge watching uh, uh, The Blacklist now. And, yeah, it's a good show, but they have, you know, two two main characters who are female. And in every episode, at least one of them is beating up guys twice her size. Um, you know, and what's, like, what's the cultural signal that that, that sends, right? It's, it tells women, look, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to be violent, but you do have to be confrontational if you want to get ahead in the world. How many guys want confrontational women? None. <laughs> right. Nobody does. Um, I mean, like that is the reason for the, what do they call it? The MGTOW movement, right. Where men are like, you know what, screw this. I don't want, you know, I don't want to check anymore. And it's because, you know, like they, the culture has created, you know, people who, you know, uh, are are not capable of being married to anybody. And when you're not capable of being married to somebody, then, Chances are you're going to vote left. Well, I don't think any of this is a is a um, is an accident. Go back to the 2012 presidential election. And like the most memorable message of the Obama campaign in 2012 was what? You guys remember?
0: Julia. You got it.
1: Life of Julia. Don't need no man. There was never a freaking man in Julia's life. Everything was her marriage to the government and all of the benefits that came from that. Um, you know, so, it, that, in other words, it wasn't even subtle. It was out in the open. That this is what you know. This is what we're
2: doing. And you can you can see. I mean, let's face it. The tip of the spear of this movement are the teachers. These are you know, oh, yeah. and every teacher I see in the in the news is a purple haired woman who uh, clearly does not have a man in her life. Right. And uh, and is yeah. not
1: seeking one because she's made herself unattractive.
2: Yes.
0: Well, look at look at Randy Weingarten. I don't think she's married and I don't think she has any children. She's a shrill, shrieking shrew, you know, freak who is constantly at the forefront of every crackpot Maoist Marxist thing you can possibly imagine. And this is this is the key point when we were just to go back to what you guys were talking about with Breitbart and politics being down downstream from the culture. Well, damn it. You know, kindergarten is downstream from that. I mean, that's where it all begins. And, you know, you go back to the book we talk about. You know, we talk about Mr. Mr. Bill Ayers of the of the Weather Underground, who put down the Molotov cocktails, and somehow he he made himself into this, uh, you know, education meister, who's influenced I don't know how many generations of teachers, and he's put the he put he's put you know propagandists in every classroom from from pre-K to post grad. So, you know, crack that nut, and I think maybe the COVID thing and the lockdowns we see there's a there's a trend towards more homeschooling. And that's like, I guess, showing the cross to uh, people like Randy Weingarten, but maybe that's a way in, but man, unless we take over these schools, it's just going to be, it's going to be murder.
1: Well, what I'd love to see is just to blow that whole system up. Do money follows the child across the board and let the market kill all of the, you know, the Bill Ayers educational (laughs) empire, because you know, whenever this stuff is subjected to market forces and, 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 you know, the foot comes off the scale, Nobody chooses any of this crap. I mean, you know, and the 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 most obvious sort of iteration of that 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 everybody can look at is how badly these woke movies do, right? Um yeah. I mean, that wokeism is just t- such total box office poison. I mean, you know, and and the, the latest thing is like Disney's like delaying uh, Snow Beige for like a year, right? <laughs> Uh, I mean it was like I mean they did everything they could to like hey okay now we're gonna do woke snow White and we're gonna show everybody and and like the the public condemnation of that has been so <laughs> thorough and complete that it's like yeah let's push it back a year and see if the, you know, all this blows over they'll never release that movie no it's
0: know? dead it's totally yeah. dead you and know what they snow- should do is they they should do is they should release uh has an old Warner Brothers cartoon called Coal Black, <laughs> and if you've ever seen it, it's really out there. Where it's like really horrendously. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember but, that from,
2: from my youth. So exactly. We're, we're, we're getting yeah. a little bit far afield from from this very very interesting book that Scott has written. Yes. Uh, but I would like to point out something very interesting. Um, in the uh, Scott in in the early part of the book, this describes exactly the how comprehensive the tentacles of the of the previous Obama administrations are in the current Biden administration and it it has just occurred to me that there are a lot of single women in the Biden administration from the Obama administrations
1: oh yeah and that's
2: yeah anyway just an observation I thought that was quite interesting
1: well I mean look this is this is it's the most uh feminized administration that we've ever had Right. I mean, at one time and, you know, who knows what Susan Rice is actually doing now, because she's doing something. We just aren't allowed to find out what that is since she's not in the administration anymore. But at one point, first year or so of the Biden administration, I mean, you could make the argument that. Uh, the four or five most powerful people in America were all female. And it was Susan Rice and it was Nancy Pelosi and it was Kamala Harris and it was Jill Biden and maybe Samantha Power as well. Um, and like that's who actually has been running the country because nobody believes Biden does. Um, and, I mean, you know, I, I obviously it all points back to uh, Barack. But I don't think Barack Obama has ever been a day to day manager. Right. Like, I think he's a guy that would rather watch the NCAA tournament on TV and pick his bracket than than actually do policy. Um, But, you know, he'll put people around him that will handle all that. And then he'll pontificate about, you know, ideological things that he got from Frank Marshall Davis. And I think he's still doing that. And now it's, you know, it's it's even further downstream from him where the rubber meets the road. But this is yeah, this is very much a um, a. Uh, it's a, a female-driven and and um, either unmarried or, or childless female-driven administration, um, more so than ever. Um, and, uh, J.J., I, I, I want to pick up on something so we don't lose it, because you had <laughs> mentioned that we talked about it uh, in the book a little bit. You know, is the Biden administration Obama's third term or is it the fourth term? Um, and we ended up basically dropping a lot of the fourth term references in the book. There was going to be a chapter entitled, uh, you know, was was Donald Trump ever really president? And, and what that kind of refers to is that Obama seeded the deep state with so many operatives um, that while Trump was sort of making policy on the top end, the guts of the federal government w- went largely unchanged. Uh, Over the course of his term, you know, and, you know, people who are big Trump supporters like hate, 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 hate hearing that. But if you explain it to them, they'll understand. Right. Like, I mean, he, he had half his first term eaten up with a stupid Mueller investigation and the Russia hoax that was perpetrated within the government. Right. And the people that perpetrated it largely faced no consequences as a result of their actions, so much so that a lot of those same people were busily saying that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation and there was no consequence for that either, right? I mean, the guy that put all that together was Jake Sullivan and he's the national security advisor now. That guy should have been never, uh, ever allowed to have anything to do with government again after he did that.
0: Uh, Should have been been put in prison. I mean, you have people, you you have these apparatchiks like Bill Priestap and you have, you know, McCabe and, and Strzok. And I mean- you can really argue. I mean, are these necessarily Obama operatives or are these, is this just the fact that the bureaucracy over the course of perhaps decades has always, if not to be charitable, leaned left and Democrat, but is now perhaps 99, 100% Democrat. So it's like, yeah, that's you know, you know, did did Hitler give the order for the for the Final Solution? He probably did, but then again, he had all these people around him who were eagerly doing things that they knew that that the, the Fuhrer would approve. And it's like it's a, the same thing with you talked about Obama being a very sharp guy. You know, his whatever his intelligence. What do you think of him? And you say that he's a lazy guy, and I agree with you. He'd rather be doing his brackets and doing whatever the heck he is, or smoking a duber or chum or whatever. But right. at the end of the day, I mean he is a very shrewd and and savage political operative in the fact that he got rid of all his, you know, previous candidates when he was running for state assembly and, and the yeah. Senate and Senate seat, as you pointed out in the book. And we are reminded of this in so many of these incidents, which are, you know, now, just, you know, it just comes back to the fore and you go, Oh my God, this guy's a real SOV. But yeah. as being an intellect or a great thinker or whatever, I don't think so. And I wonder, well, everybody says Obama is pulling Biden's strings, but, I think someone is pulling his strings. I think
2: it's well, could be. No, subject, I could th- be I, yeah, see, be- I I disagree with 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 you, JJ. Um, I I think that that uh, Obama is the head of this, of this operation. Um, but mm-hmm. but this operation is so all encompassing, as you just described, that he doesn't have to do anything. His his acolytes are well 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 prepared to to gut the government to to create this this. The destruction of the middle class, which, is, as as Scott points out in the book, is is really the goal of of these these current crop of communists. So he he might be the he might be the uh, figurehead, um, but they they know exactly what to do. They have been trained probably from birth to do exactly what they're doing now.
1: Well, it, it, let me pick up on that, because the, the one thing that I'll say about Obama and I, like I, I think he's a smart guy. But what you can absolutely say about him is that Obama is not uh, creative, okay? No, nothing about Obama in terms of his thinking politically or whatever. None of that is original. It's all derivative, okay? The, the playbook that, that Obama has followed throughout his entire political career was written by basically the American communist movement in the mid to late 20th century. Whether it's the Saul Alinskys or or um, I can't remember what the guy's name was, that it was the big um, uh, American socialist guy in the 80s uh, who uh, Gus basically, Hall? what's that? Gus Hall? Well, Gus Hall yeah. was part of it, but I'm thinking of another guy. His name's Michael something. But like these are the people that turn. Oh, Schellenberger. Schellenberg. Is that it? No, no, it's not no. Schellenberger. I, I, I anyway the point is
0: yeah.
1: uh there was a movement of people who turned communism from like a marxist leninist construct to more of a of, sort of cultural marxist but even more than that a community organizing construct um and this is like for example this was the the uh, the convention obama goes to in 1983 when he's a senior at columbia okay that that you yeah. know he said was sort of a big moment in his life that you know, like the entire uh, convention that he goes to is all about, we're going to organize communities around a socialist precept. And so in other words, that playbook was, was already written, and it informs his entire thing. It's not like, for example, the Democrat Party, which is now a reflection of Barack Obama's politics, is not about persuading anyone of anything. It's about dragooning as many of their people either to the to the polls or getting people to harvest ballots as they can. They don't they don't make arguments that they think the American people will uh, will like. OK, I mean, I can give you a perfect example. So uh, this, you know, this week we had the Israel aid bill uh, that goes through the House. And Mike Johnson, who I'll, I'll humble brag here is a personal friend of mine, is the speaker of the House. Oh. uh they throw uh all right we're going to cut 14.3 billion from the IRS uh to pay for the Israel aid bill because everybody in America wants the IRS's budget to get cut. Everybody in America wants that, right? Like anybody who pays taxes and even people who don't <laughs> like don't want to <laughs> spend money on the IRS. So, fine. We're going to we're going to help Israel. We're going to do that. That is a very much a majoritarian position and the democrats go absolutely nuts over that. Why? Because that $14 billion for the IRS is, that's political money for them. This is an opportunity for them to go after people who disagree with them, right? Which is more important than making people feel good, right? It's more important than winning people's approval. And so it's, you know, they're turning elections into ballot harvesting contests. All of that's community organizing right? It's not about making my people the majority. It's about making my people more powerful than the majority. Um, and everything about Barack Obama's uh, life before politics, his political life, his administration, even the post-administration, has all been about that concept that he did not learn, okay? This was, this was sort of an American Communist Party uh, operation where, you know, you take these disaffected minorities and you stitch them together into a coalition, That is not a majority of the country, but it's it is a coalition that is cohesive enough to intimidate the majority, which whether it's whether it's, you know, whether it's blacks, whether it's illegal aliens, whether it's the, you know, Dave Chappelle's alphabet people. Right. Single women is another one. Um, I mean, you know, like stitch this together, make everybody an an aggrieved victim. And then that is what you can build an, an active political ingredient out of
2: and it what's fascinating about that is that it is internally inconsistent that the you know when you you as you say you cobble together these 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 huge groups of of disparate people they're not all going to get it they're not all going to get their handout. they're not all going to get the jobs they're not all going to to get the you know the 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 below market mortgages it's not it doesn't work that way because because ultimately we are governed by economic principles um so the the what's fascinating to me is that that the socialist movement in the United States, the communist movement in the United States, has convinced their these willing fools that they're going to get something, and they never right. do. And the evidence right. is stark. And the evidence you you go back a hundred years, and there it is. But it, it keeps working, and it's fascinating and, and a little uh, a little upsetting. Well, you know, I, you know
1: if you go, want to get these people's heads to explode. You know, just put the questions like, OK, so if you get this revolution that you're asking for, what makes you think that you're going to run it? <laughs> like, you know, like there were a whole lot of people that were horribly surprised when Joseph Stalin ended up running the USSR and putting him in gulags. We're like, well, wait a minute. That's not what was supposed to happen. It's like, no, no. But when you when you take political power and you make that the only consideration that governs a society. Right rather than, you know, market forces or moral imperatives or whatever that a free society will usually uh, at least adhere somewhat to. When it's all political power, you're going to get the most most ruthless bastard you can find is going to ultimately run the show. And the first thing he does is get rid of all the pointy headed dreamers um, who, you know, thought it was a good idea to put him in charge in the first place. When you when you, know, you bring that up to these guys, they have no answer for it because they never thought that far ahead.
0: Well, that's just it. It's like it's, you know, they always say, you know, whoever you know, the, the first people that Stalin lined up against the wall or shoved into the basement of the Lubyanka. If only Stalin knew, if only Comrade Stalin knew. And these were the most ardent Bolsheviks you could possibly think of. But he wanted them out of the way once they, 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 they their, their usefulness was, uh, you know, they got him in power. That was it. And I, you know, just to, to backtrack a little bit on these on these disparate groups, you know, it was only a few weeks ago that we were sort of having a little bit of a chuckle when uh, up in Dearborn or Dearborn to stay in Michigan, uh, the local Muslims were going crazy with uh, protesting, you know, the homosexual, transsexual, whatever you want to call it, indoctrination in the schools because it was it was anti-Islam, and and you know, you yeah. sort of had this uh, intersectionality uh, pile up at the intersectionality intersection. Now all of a sudden you have what's going on in Israel, and uh, once again everybody finds their common ground in, in Jew hatred, which I think
2: uh, yeah, queers from Palestine. I, I love that. Yeah, crazy. Like, yeah, you exactly. go to Gaza City, see how long it oh. takes before you're thrown off a fucking building, you retard. Fly, flying exactly.
1: <laughs> Well, like I, you know, and I'm the only one that, that 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 even talks about this, but um, so in 2021 they started flying the Pride flag on the flagpole of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, in Afghanistan, okay? And by the end of July, the Taliban had taken over the country. And nobody seems to recognize the connection there. Like, you, fl- the most important place in the entire country of Afghanistan has a gay pride flag flying over it, right, in a country that is the most... Um, well, in some respects, Afghanistan is, is pretty forward when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, gender and other things. I mean, you know, they they thought it was a good idea to have uh, little boys as sex toys. But, you know, from the standpoint of being awfully fundamentalist when it came to Islam, uh, you know, they checked that box. And here you are flying the gay pride flag uh, on top of your embassy. What do you think the average Afghan looked at looked at that and said, okay, you know what? I'd rather be governed by the Taliban than these people. And you lose that war in two months.
0: (laughs) Amazing. You know, I was gonna say, with the whole thing going on in Dearborn before, you know, is I was even actually, you know, sort of half joking, you know, second look at Islam when it comes to the whole transsexual madness myself. But then, of course, the Middle East exploded, and then that you know, um, you know, it's it's not really funny anymore. But but no, yeah, these people—it's I mean,
1: not. But yeah, but the, yeah. the the cognitive dissonance is is so stark and amazing to, to behold. I mean, you know, and there's there's a couple of these uh, these these pieces that I've seen in in some of the legacy corporate media in the last week or so. Is you know, here are all these these hardcore progressive Jews who are like. Well, I I don't even I don't even belong in this movement anymore because they're all for Hamas now. And how can that be true? And it's like. But the
2: but the reality is that that the administration has been working diligently to support exactly what Hamas did. Yes. Um, You know, pumping billions of dollars into Iran and 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 supporting a what is essentially um, a an Iranian nuclear device is exactly what Hamas wants. And and this gets back to the to the incredible influence of the of the Obama administration in the current administration. Um, there, there's no geopolitical reason to to or to to bolster um, Iran, other than a desire to have some foil in the Middle East that balance that counterbalances is Israeli power and. I mean, well, you 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 go back to the first and and the well, actually, both of the, of the Obama administrations, and you see that attitude. Um, you know, Samantha Power was a huge fan. That's well, um, sure. you know, Susan Rice too, yeah. and yet and yet it makes no geopolitical sense.
1: Well, none. But let you know, let's you know, go back to Obama's origins. Right, he's at Columbia, and his favorite professor at Columbia was Edward Said, who's oh, a Palestinian pro Hamas. And then when he was in Chicago, his, you know, one of his best buddies was Rashid Khalidi, who's another, you know, pro-Hamas, Palestinian, uh, um, you know, far left uh, um, uh, academic. And I mean, these two guys had a profound influence on Obama from the standpoint of at least, you know, American geopolitics in the Middle East. Uh, I mean, those are the guys who basically set his uh, set his mind. And so, you know, and now you got, I mean, and then like, okay, so here is Chuck Schumer declaring that the House uh, Israeli aid package is dead, right? And he says, instead, we're going to bring up Biden's bill that includes humanitarian aid for Gaza, right? And we know what that's going to result in. We know that that means more rockets. Like, we know that because every time Hamas gets their hands-on humanitarian aid, it becomes rockets. So their their response to uh what Johnson wants to do, which is to cut IRS, cut IRS, use the money to uh to give Israel aid, their response is no, we're gonna spend a hundred billion dollars and some of that is gonna fund both sides to this war. Right? Um and, and I mean, and this is Chuck Schumer doing this. So Chuck Schumer is, wants to fund Hamas. Like, I, I don't know what in these
0: guys are, which is kind of funny because uh, his his niece Amy Schumer, uh, <laughs> tweeted support for Israel and now she's being reamed a new one from her friends on the left. All of a sudden she's she's being canceled. I mean, look, I feel bad for her in a way, but you know, let it let it be a slap in the face. I mean, I assume she's she's going to apologize because she probably has the spine of an amoeba. Because she values her career over her, her morals, whatever they may be. I hope she proves me wrong. But it is insane. It's absolutely, you know, you don't, you know, their their worldview is such, you know, it goes back to what you wrote about in the beginning with when Obama first went into the office, what the heck did he do? He got rid of a bust of Winston Churchill. And yeah. why? Because Winston Churchill, according to his father, represented colonialism. And now all of a sudden, what's the big word these days with Israel? De- decolonialism. Decolonize yeah. the Middle East. Decolonize this. Decolonize that. Well, the only decolonizing that's being done is, uh, is basically disemboweling people and cho- chopping their heads off. But this right. is, this is Obama's mindset. Aside from the fact that just plain old Jew hatred because he's, you know, that's what he was steeped in from his maybe from his father, maybe from Indonesia or who knows wherever else. But but that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, but it's this this is you, you are so correct, Scott. It's it all goes back to his formative years where he was basically, sadly, mentally abused, if not sexually abused. And and there you have. It.
1: Well, and like, let's not forget that Frank Marshall Davis wrote column after column after column beating Winston Churchill to death. Um. Yeah. When he was writing for the, at the time, I guess it was the Honolulu star or whatever that, uh, that, that, uh, communist newspaper that he wrote for in Hawaii. I mean, so like the whole thing is, is like, and you know, whether it's, it's, it's Barack Obama senior, who I would say is a, is sort of a, a um, a fantasy figure in Obama's life who he, he didn't really have the influence on him that that uh that that dreams from my father book it suggests but it was really davis um who was a communist and a you know like absolutely hated america soup to nuts um i mean this is a guy who uh dedicated himself to destroying the america that was um and i don't know that he's fully succeeded but boy has he done some damage uh, since he had the power to do it over the last, you know, 15 years or so. And we're all looking around just, you know, b- bewildered, like, how did this happen? Um, and that's like, you know, that's kind of the reason I wrote the book is, you know, you, you need to be able to understand, like, why we are where we are, because it wasn't some organic thing. And this is like the big thing that they love to, to you know, like style themselves as progressives and they make you believe that this is just society evolving the way it was always going to evolve. And that's not true. You know, I mean, they, they did like the Obama administration, particularly like idiots like John Kerry when he was secretary of state. You know, they keep making it like, well, you're on the wrong side of history. Right. And that's a, that's a Marxist construct that, you know, history's you know, the arc of history bends in a certain direction and it, everything is inevitable. Right. And that's none of it is None of it is true. Um, and, you know, one of the, it was kind of a a, a fun little anecdote was, you know, when the Russians uh, first uh, started, uh, well, I guess it was when they uh, came into Crimea back in 14, I guess it was. And, um, you yeah. know, Kerry goes as well, you're on the wrong side of history. And, you know, Putin, and I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but Putin like, basically laughed in Kerry's face. It's like, I control what the arc of history does right? I'm the one that's acting. I'm the one that's making history. So don't tell me what the arc of history is, because I control it. And you're not willing to do anything to stop me. So here it is. Um, and like, this is sort of the the dumb intellectual uh, left, who thinks that, you know, they don't believe in God, but they think that <laughs> like that the arc of history naturally is going to go someplace. And, and it's, you know, it's because they believe in Marx, who was wrong about everything. Um like Paul Kinger says he says you didn't get the economics wrong, you know, you you got the basic human nature wrong. Um and that's why none of their stuff works, but they're so determined to make it happen um that you know that that you get the problems that you get
2: you
0: got 200 million people dead in, uh, in, in maybe a little bit over 100 years, but it's because, you know, we are the people that we've been waiting for. Uh, right. Stalin failed because it was Stalin. It wasn't communism, but we'll get it right this time for sure, even if, uh, as Sergeant Hartman says, short dicks every cannibal in the Congo. But it's, you know, it, it's it's ridiculous. They're never, you know, you, you say it's it's uh, – you know, the, the only way that and I think Rush Limbaugh, may, may he rest in peace, used to say this. He said if they ran on the policies openly of what they wanted to do, never in a billion billion years would they ever get elected. It's amazing. Everything is so wonderful. Oh, yes, it's a natural. It's the arc of history that it's going to happen. But meanwhile, they have to lie through their teeth about everything that it's all about. And it's sort of like the same thing with Islam. There's this concept of taqiyya. Which means, yep. oh, you, you pretend you are, you know, a, a resident and a patriotic person of the country you're in. Meanwhile, you, you your allegiance is to Islam and overthrowing that society and making it an Islamic republic. It's the same thing here. People will pledge like Barack Obama did. I am a I'm the guy that's gonna heal, you know, whatever this, bring the bring the oceans down and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, finally racism we put the put to bed and people bought it. Fucking part of my French hook, line and sinker. And exactly the opposite of what he did. So if they weren't lying, they, they you know it, it, it'll never work. It's not going to work. The only problem is they are now, and this is this is the thing with with your book, and it's a wonderful book, you know, Scott. And, and I'm just worried that you know people of my age, and I'm I'm in my early sixties into my mid sixties now, and my parents are gone, and and people as people pass from the scene who know what America is supposed to be like, we're not going to know history. You know, history will begin with day one. It begins with us, right here and right now. What the hell with the past? And you have historians that are rewriting it from everything from CRT to the 1619 Project. I mean, I look at it and we look at it from our perspectives as, well, people have to open their eyes and realize what's going on. But when you see these hordes of of idiots protesting with the thugs in in New York and chasing students in Cooper Union, you got to shake your head and wonder, oh, my God, is it too late? Do we really – can we, if not, wake up people who should know better, educate the people who don't know anything? And that's what's really – that's why your book is so important, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, I, and that I think that is, uh, at the end of the day, that's probably pretty core to why people ought to read it, right, which is to understand that, at least, I mean, you know, the, some of this degradation that um, that preceded Obama has been pretty important as well. But the active destruction of cultural, political, economic institutions in the country uh from 2007 or 2008 to now, uh, is not organic. Okay. Like this is, this has been done to us and you have to understand, you know, who and why, um, um, you know, who, who did it and why, um, if you want to be in a position where you have sound footing that to, 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 to start taking the country back and on the right, particularly, We have not come to grips with this. I mean, we, you know, we'll bitch about Obama all day long. Right. I mean, we've done that ever since he came on the on on the scene. But nobody has ever really dissected not just his background, but the effect that applying that background to the whole country uh, has had. And, you know, we've just kind of sort of let things go. And well, you know, maybe there's systematic racism in America. And it's like, no, that, that, that isn't what's going on here. What's going on is the Democrats people who uh, operate under that same sort of acorn framework that Obama did. Democrats have weaponized governmental failure in the cities where most black people live Um and made it so that it's impossible to move up right when when the criminals run the streets there is no commerce and when there's no commerce that means there's no jobs for you know kids to go get a job in a, you know, a kid can't get a job in a store in the inner city anymore right there's no there there I mean the stores are closed they came and they ransacked the place and so the you know the Pakistani guy that used to own the store picked up and left and he has a store in the suburbs now
2: um, and the, I mean, and the you know, single blue haired freak that who passes as a teacher is not teaching them how to read and write right she's teaching them uh, intersectionality and yeah. the 57 genders yeah that's, right. a, that's an excellent point
1: you know i mean like this stuff like and and obama i think is sort of the avatar for this 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 sort of leftist lurch in america but you know it's not built to help people succeed you know and and you know, one of the things he he talked about early on in his, his um, in, in his political rise was collective salvation rather than individual salvation. In other words, if the entire community doesn't move ahead, then uh, then you don't have any progress. And every single ethnic group that came to America that that had social mobility, whether it's the Italians or the Irish or the um, you know, uh, I mean, just the Chinese or whoever, Filipinos, you know, th- there is no um, Irish NAACP. You, I can't tell you who, you know, who the, the main civil rights leader of Irish descent in America is. They don't have that. What you have is a whole bunch of families that, you know, people got educated, people got jobs, then they started a family business. And the next thing you know, there was a family fortune. And when you did that in a collective basis, there is no reason for people to say, Oh, well, you know, the Irish, um, you know, we don't want the Irish in our, in our community. But like, and at one point that was what, what was said about the Irish now. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, whatever. And they don't even call them Irish anymore. They call them white, which frankly is somebody who's half Scottish and half Cajun. I get irritated when they call me white because I have a, a, a much more detailed heritage than that.
2: Um, but, but, but that that's that that word is carefully carefully chosen
1: of course it is of course it is I mean it, you know what's what's even more ridiculous than that is you know now it's Asian right yeah it's like well that could mean you could be a, a an Uzbek or a Korean or an Indonesian and they'll call you Asian well <laughs> and it's also, it's, also his, his- nothing in common Okay.
0: It's like like Hispanic is a ridiculous thing. I mean, that was invented, I think, by Richard Nixon, of all people. There's no such thing as Hispanic. I mean, are you going to tell me someone from Spain is the same as someone from Guatemala? I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. Well,
1: but it you just a, race is even worse because the Hispanics, yeah. most Hispanics, like two-thirds of Hispanics are a- ethnically white, right? Exactly.
0: George Zimmerman, and, you know, oh. they,
1: so they, they they get you know especially when they come you know straight here from someplace else they get really confused when you start talking about this because it's like oh you know I'm white yeah. it's like well you actually <laughs> so you're Hispanic because you can get affirmative action they're like okay I'm Hispanic.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I consider myself Hispanic because my, my my ancestors 500 years ago fled Spain and went to Hungary, but I guess that's not going to fly. But you know, just to backtrack on what you how you described the inner cities and what was being done to them with the circle of the violence and the crime and the, you know, the the the, the economic base leaving and the and the destruction of the family and the destruction of all these things you are describing basically much of the Islamic world and especially the, quote, unquote, Palestinian areas. Sure. There is this is being intentionally done and has been intentionally done little by little since the 1960s, since the Great Society to what we have to today, where essentially we have feral gangs of, you know, dare I say it, black and, and minority youths running around with impunity and acting as, you know, it's, you know, anarcho-terrorism with, with the crime wave. and it's It's intentional and is insidious, and Barack Obama you know if he's not the the uh, the architect of all of this, he certainly uh you know ramped it into overdrive, and he you know one day hopefully should when he meets his maker, whoever knows when that is going to be is going to be have to call, have to answer for what he did to so many people and the lives he destroyed and amazing and, and ironic that the man who was supposed to be the healer of the races has done more to destroy black people probably than anyone since lbj horrible
2: no yeah. but you said something very interesting and that is that, you know the, the these non-state actors are becoming much more important and you know with the fall of soviet union and the and the destruction of the of the concept of of two uh counterbalancing superpowers we have the rise of the non-state actor we see it in hezbollah uh, we see it in hamas we see it all over uh, central america and in mexico um, and we're, it's, it's probably rising in other places that we don't know about.
1: Well, I would say it, it's rising here, you know, I mean, but the, uh, the, the Soros network, the democracy Alliance, and, and you know, the, the, these the Arabella advisors guys that plug the, this left wing money into the places, uh, where it'll do the most damage. I mean, I, I would say that those guys are every bit the malign non-state actors that you see in these other places around the world. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I I'm in, I live in Baton Rouge, but I pay attention to New Orleans because uh, it's an hour away. And New Orleans is completely dominated by left wing foundation money that originates from somewhere on the East Coast. Okay. I mean, and, and I mean, they they have destroyed all of the, the even the Democrat political machines that used to run New Orleans no longer run them, and the place is turned into. They've got a Soros DA there. The mayor is a hard left wacko. The the sheriff is a is a, a Soros nut job. And I mean, they, they've completely destroyed that city on purpose because what they want is a small skim of rich people who. Basically, pay a la carte for social services and are willing to bribe their way into getting special treatment from City Hall. And then a, a giant swath of poor people that can be bought off easy um, and run the middle class out of town because the middle class people actually expect something for their tax dollars. And so that, you know, you send them all to the suburbs and then you get federal money to replace the tax base that those guys uh, leaving robs you of. And you're, you're better off than ever because the federal dollars don't carry any accountability to them at all.
2: Well, you that's know, a cheery it. thought.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> But it, it is. It is. Every big blue city in America is run this way. And it's the reason they're all collapsing. Right. Because the the middle class is what keeps government accountable. Always has been in every society. When it has a, a functioning middle class, then, you know, government is afraid of these people because they actually have some resources to do something about uh, about things that they don't like. Well, if you get rid of them, then you you basically get to, to govern it. I mean, you rule over a ruin, but you're going to rule because none of these people ever get voted out of office, right? Because there's nobody available to vote them out of office anymore. And so you can rob the till blind. You can do all the social experimentation that you ever thought you might, you know, want to take a shot at. And, you know, there's no accountability for any of it. And so, you know, when the Democrat party becomes a collection of machines in these big blue cities that are capable of doing this, like they don't even understand how to make policy across the aisle or govern in the way that, uh, that, you know, we recognize as Americans, they don't even like, they're not from that tradition anymore. Uh, they they're kind of you know it's like uh Australia breaks off from the from the uh the uh, Pangaea or whatever and then you hundreds of millions of years later you get all these weird animals that, that live over there that's basically what the democrat party is now um and they you know they dare to call like the magA conservative crew most of whom are reciting uh pretty typical american messages from say the 60s 70s and 80s uh, that that even Democrats would say they call these people oh they're extremists and it's like I, I can recognize things that MAGA people talk about I can recognize all throughout American history I can't recognize anything that urban Democrats say in this country.
0: Well, you talk about extremism. I mean, well, of course we're extremists to them. We're extremists in that you know to, to someone who is who, who's basically uh, the the acolytes of Pol Pot Mao Hitler Stalin and. And you know, and Fidel Castro. You know, normal people are extreme. I mean, of course, they're they're insane. It's like the it's a mirror universe. And and you know, like I said before, I mean, we're the irony is that you know we're rapidly becoming the underground that that Bill Ayers was part of, except that we're not going to go around and you know try to blow up army barracks and rob banks and this and that and the other thing. I mean, it's that's what yet. really what's it's not yet hello. But that was what I was going to say is that can you imagine speaking of Bill Ayers? Go back to 1970 or 71. Can you imagine if he had the billions of dollars that Black Lives Matter had? I mean, essentially, that's what he has, but it's 50 years later. Essentially, uh, what what Charles Manson was going crazy about over at the, the ranch there with Sharon Tate, and you mentioned this in the book with the four-fingered salute. I mean, uh, you know, this is what we have 50 years later. The Charles Manson's dream has come true. We have a, a, a country that's tearing itself apart over race, among other things, and loony people who are essentially not that far removed from the mindset of Charles Manson insofar as what they will do to get and maintain power is what they're doing. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we're being turned into Yugoslavia if not worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I Yugoslavia mean, you know, at least has a pot and a tossed salad. You're not going to like what you get. Exactly.
2: <laughs> the thing is that Yugoslavia at least had, had some sort of, of, uh, um, I'm not going to say a, 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 share, a shared culture that, because it really wasn't a shared culture, but they had cultural had memories. Shared ethnicity, yeah, uh, but but they had shared memories, and and in the, the United States, the they are destroying even those shared memories. You know, they're destroying any any recognition of the Civil War. I mean, the Civil War probably doesn't exist in in the minds of of most high school kids they're destroying all of of our greatest accomplishments they're destroying what what you you can base american exceptionalism on which is the exceptional things that that americans have done over the last 250 years and by destroying that that you you start out with a, a, this wonderful clean slate that is unfortunately uh quite socialist in in its look
1: yeah well and the thing is, is you know it's important to recognize that this is doomed to fail because it's it's essentially the exact thing that the Soviets attempted to do when they did you know the new Soviet man we're going to reprogram humanity to operate in a different way so that communism will work and it didn't work you know and the Chinese uh, did basically the same thing with the Cultural Revolution in the sixties um, and that was a complete disaster and where China has been able to rise was. Adopting, you know, some proto form of capitalism, which is not really capitalism. It's more fascism uh, that that China has adopted. But there's some semblance of private property and ownership. And and they relaxed a little on the cultural piece because it was such a failure.
2: And but but the thing is that they are returning to that and they are failing miserably.
1: Right. At the same time that, you know, you now have the American left which has learned all the wrong lessons from both the Soviets and the Chinese and are, are trying to impose those on us, using means that the Soviets and Chinese uh, weren't able to use um, uh, to, to, I mean, you know, power came from the barrel of a gun, both in the USSR and in communist China. They're trying to do this with soft power. And I already don't think it's working. Like, you know, there was a great quote Megan Kelly had couple of days ago you know where she said the only, the only positive thing of what's happening with with um with israel and, and hamas is that you're seeing the death of wokeism in real time um and i think that's true because it ex- this is exposing so many internal contradictions of what these guys uh have been professing with the intersectionalism and everything else um you know I, you're you're rapidly getting to the point where you're just not gonna be able to sell this stuff anymore And the real question is, you know, can somebody else uh, take advantage of uh, of the problems that the Democrats are making for themselves? And, you know, that's that's a whole other subject. But the point is, um, you know, you're you're seeing that this doesn't work. It's obviously that it's obvious it doesn't work. Joe Biden's approval ratings show that it doesn't work. The right track, wrong track numbers show that it doesn't work. You know, the performance of the economy, everything across the board is worse now than it was 15 20 years ago and everybody understands that and you can't well, keep he, selling it
0: well here's here's the here's the you know 300 trillion dollar question now will people now recognize because as you have postulated perhaps in the book or your as your 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 perhaps fear is that michelle obama will become the nominee to replace uh, to replace biden right are people going to wake up and now associate all of this misery, not necessarily with Barack Obama, but with the Democrats or with the way things, you know, what they voted for or, or many of them voted for, supposedly those 82 million ballots are or will they finally wake up and said, I don't care if it's Michelle Obama or whoever the hell it is. We can't vote for these people anymore. I mean, you know, is it a case of lather, rinse and repeat and you know, hoping we'll get someone who'll get it right this time? That's the big um, what, what's your what do you think?
1: I wish I had a good answer for you on that. I make absolutely no assumptions whatsoever about what's going to happen in 2024. You know, I I mean, they could very easily try to run Joe Biden again, Um, or or they could, you know, switch gears to somebody else. I couldn't even tell you who that is. They could foist Michelle Obama on the public and and go crazy again with the, uh, the, the, you know, um media blitz to try to you know uh deify her which you know will be the most nauseating thing in in the history of american media if that happens um and you can see it coming a mile away she
2: I is mean, quite been, beautiful though you have to admit that oh
1: my god i mean it's just I, I, I looking, guy. looking at that going <laughs> I, you can't i mean like really are you really going to try to sell that and they did
2: yeah they did you know
1: I, I, i'm not saying it worked but I, look And and here's the thing, go find you know go talk to any single woman you want, and and three quarters of them will tell you that Michelle Obama is like an idol. And it's you know and that's the product the product of every woman's magazine, every you know website, all of the TV shows, just nonstop beating it in all of these women's head that you know hey Michelle Obama is where it's at, and you know like okay, and so they believe it and. You know, if 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 she up and decides she's willing to run. And I I think the saving grace is that she refuses to do it. But yeah, if I, she up and decides I think to she's do that, lazy as fuck
2: and won't and won't oh, run. She
1: totally is. She totally is. And 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 has very little interest in work. And her her work history shows you that. Um, but I mean, you know, that's a look, that's a that's a tough road to hoe if you got to beat Michelle Obama. Um, not because she's, you know, good at campaigning or any of that. I mean, look, they foisted Joe Biden on us and he was in his basement for the entire campaign. Um, so who
2: knows? Well, Uh, you know, okay. So, so we'll, we'll grant the, what is it? uh, Democrat plus 30 something for single women? 37. (laughs) Okay. Democrat plus 37 for single women. They're all going to vote for Michelle Obama, but they're going to vote for the, for the Democrat, no matter what. That's right. Where? where in the in the vast body politic is she going to get the other votes
1: uh that's a good question can they and convince
2: that michelle obama is the, is going to be the next savior of america
1: well i mean look I, I mean if she gets elected you could very well have the country split into red states and blue states yeah. I and mean, that's that's entirely possible um so I, um but what i would say i mean for the people who don't idolize Michelle, there is hatred of Trump, like that. You know th- that's that's what's on order there.
2: Yeah,
1: is you know, um, you know, you can't possibly vote for Trump, and you know, we'll try to put Trump in jail. We'll call him a felon. We'll call him every name in the book, and uh, you know, maybe we're better off going back to the Obamas and let's calm things back down, which is a an abject lie and one of the stupidest things anybody has ever said, but it's probably what they would do, right? Because demonizing the Republican is the only way the Democrats can sell what they have to sell. You're seeing it. They're trying to do it to Johnson now. This, I mean, this guy is basically Ned Flanders, okay? I mean, I know Mike. He is one of the nicest people that you will ever meet in your life. He is one of the most pleasant human beings that you could possibly talk to. And they are demonizing him as some sort of, uh, you know, insane, rabid, um, you know, homophobic, uh, sexist, fundamentalist nut. And none of that even remotely approaches what he is in real life. Um, well, you know, an, they have to a, demonize him because they can't beat the arguments he's going to make.
0: You know, it's, an, it's what, what you just said, Scott, is an interesting it's an interesting thing. We, and, you know, it sort of harkens back to what I said about, you know, the mirror universe America is that, yeah. you know, what? He's, I mean, and he's not even you know he's not a fundamentalist Bible thumping you know whatever you know and, and that's always been the, the the slime and the smear that these people have done you know since Jerry Falwell and since Ronald Reagan. I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like we were supposed to turn into a, a Christian theocracy where everyone was going to look like Handmaid's Tale. I mean, how did that work out for us? It didn't, oh, yeah. of course not. But and believe but me, the,
2: they're not done with that argumentation. Hey, you know something? I would oh. I would ve- I would much prefer living in a in a in America run by. Uh, fundamentalist Christians than the current iteration of the United States.
0: Yeah. Let let me, let me just say this. I live a block away from a church and there was, I I kid you not, there's gotta be a a 30 foot crucifix on the, on the, on the corner of this main intersection. And when I first came here, you know, just visiting family, I was, you know, as a Jew from Brooklyn, I'm a little, uh, oh boy, here I am in you know, God's country. But now what's going on in of all places, Brooklyn, New York, the seat, the most, probably one of the most Jewish places on the planet. And by the way, if one of your, your colleagues, if you know him, Rabbi Doug Fisher, please yeah. tell him I said hello, because I'm also an alumni of Brooklyn College. It's it's be, my hometown has become the most rabidly anti-Semitic places on the planet, next to Gaza. I mean, right. you know, or, or, or Riyadh. So I'm more comfortable here than I am in, in where I grew up, which which is crazy. But going back to Michelle Obama for a moment, I'll just say this: I don't think, and I hope it's not this is the case. She may not run not only because she's lazy, but because I think she's got an ego that's even bigger than Barack Obama. I yeah, think I think, it, right. I think that she resents will resent having to be his. Quote unquote, or perhaps his puppet, or be the one to implement his vision of America, regardless of the fact that they're obviously the two of them, I'm sure are, are, uh, you know, ideologically uh, identical twins, so to speak. But I think her ego in that regard might prevent her from saying to hell with it. You find yourself another, find yourself another Joe Biden to, to pull the strings. I'm not going to, you know, later for that crap. I don't need the aggravation. But well, then there's the, you know, there's also the, the, the notion of, as we mentioned, you know, the, the, the machine of institutionalized fraud, as we've talked about, is already in place. I mean, forget about Trump. I mean, if they brought in, you know, Christ off the cross, I mean, how is he going to win, the, uh, you, know, w- you know, win an election with, with that machine going?
1: So, well, there you go. what, I, what I would say about that is it, and, and you're I mean, it's you're right that it's a major concern for sure. But what I would say is, you know, it takes a lot of money and talent to keep a political machine running right. I mean, Tammany hall was the most successful political machine in American history. And it, you know, at a local level, it lasted about 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, so Obama has basically built this machine. I built it in 2007 or so. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's run for about 16 years. You can see some, uh, uh, some parts falling off of this thing like for example i can't remember who was an abc news poll from like a week ago um and biden's beating trump in the black community 74 to 26 okay they like 74 to 26 will not work because you can't run the machine on 74 to 26
2: no you need 95 5
1: or or at least 90 to 10 if you're running 74 26 And here you are, you're, you know, you're uh, you're spending millions of dollars in street money to get people, you know, get the vote out or whatever. And you're only getting a, a three to one advantage like that. That money, their money is falling out of that machine left and right. That's a problem um and you know the hispanic numbers are bad the asian numbers are bad you know like a lot of of urban america and they're going to win all of the cities don't get me wrong sure but the margin that they win the cities by if that machine is not running at full at full bore and they can't turn the vote out and when they do turn it out they don't turn it out in the numbers that they think they're going to turn it out in it all falls apart right so which was what, what was so interesting was and and uh you guys had this at ace um uh a week ago or so or maybe it was earlier this week I can't remember um talking about the Muslim democrats uh are yep. making threats right you need to be pro hamas we're pro hamas and we want biden to be pro hamas or else we're going to start voting republican all right that is a a totally um uh toothless threat okay because the Republicans are far more anti-Hamas than Joe Biden is. Um, but what they might do is they might vote for Cornell West, who is showing up at the pro-Hamas rallies. Go Cornell! Exactly. <laughs> and if so, they lose Michigan, yeah, right. Well, I mean, exactly. So you know, how if the if the Muslims don't want to vote Democrat, if they're going to vote for Cornell West, or they stay home or whatever? Like, you don't win Michigan, okay? Um, You start having some problems in New Jersey. Um, You know, it's a problem in Virginia. I mean, you go to these places where there are high concentrations of Muslim Americans, and if they aren't satisfied or if, you know, if Biden doesn't bite on the, you know, pro-Gaza stuff that these guys want, um, then, you know, they don't show up and that they have a hole in that machine. You know, or the other side of it is, is. I mean, and this is the reason why Chuck Schumer is now asking for money to go to, quote, unquote, humanitarian support in Gaza. It's to placate the Democrats who are Muslims. Like, that's what this is for. And I I, like what I'm hoping is that the Republicans in the House absolutely draw the line saying, no, we're not going to give any money whatsoever for humanitarian aid for Gaza. Get it from the Saudis or the Iranians or whatever. We're not doing it because. If they don't produce something, then those people don't turn out because it, the machine is based on money that goes out of your, ta- your wallet and into the uh, cogs in the machine. And this is one of them. And so we'll see, but to keep that thing running when it's led by incompetence like Biden and Kamala Harris and some of these other people, like i think there's reason for optimism there because again like i like i've been saying and like i said in the book none of this is organic this is not actually who america is it's that the active ingredient in our politics and the people that control our institutions that don't actually represent the majority of the country you know are, are able to sort of create this screen behind which um uh you know they operate and the rest of us don't really understand all of the all of the, the mechanisms behind it
2: you no know, it's interesting you they, okay. they they are absolutely ramping up violence um oh, yeah. which 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 actually which surprises me a little bit because i think that's going to turn off a fair number of americans and that act that supports your supposition that maybe the maybe the wheels are falling off a little bit
0: It could be, you know, it could be a 1968 redux in that regard. After, you know, the Democratic Convention with the rioting, all of a sudden people thought, well, maybe we should vote for Richard Nixon. Or there was at that point a great silent majority who said, oh, the hell with this crap. We got to, you know, we have to do this. Maybe if there's no great silent majority anymore, at least a majority of some sane people finally saying, well, we can't. We can't allow this to happen anymore. But well, I, I think we're running running way long right now. But uh, Scott and CBD, um, any any parting thoughts on on Barack Obama and his his legacy of horrendousness uh, that well, that you want to impart?
2: Actually, I want to I want to direct people to uh, a couple of Scott's uh, recent articles on the American Spectator. Um, one that he wrote, I think it was yesterday. He talked about um, you get we get what we tolerate. Uh, it's yeah. a it's a superb article folks read it uh it's it's an important thing um and that's one of the reasons why i suggested that they're they're ramping up the violence and they i think america is pushing back just a little bit because they are so disgusted by that that the hyper aggressiveness of the of these um these willing fools out in the streets um and, and another thing which i think is very interesting uh, well, actually. You know, something, you're right. We're, we're running long. We'll, we'll get Scott back. How's that? Because I could talk <laughs> with this easy. guy forever. Folks, read his stuff. It's fantastic.
0: Scott, any parting thoughts on the book, on Obama, on hope for the hope and change, <laughs> the real hope and change?
1: Yeah, hope for change, right, at this yeah. point. Um, you know, I, what I would say is, um, you know, kind of what I've been, uh, I guess, boring you guys with for this whole podcast is, you know. <laughs> It's important to understand that, um, you know, without being a conspiracy theorist or any of that, like there is a sort of a holistic drive on the part of Obama and the people that uh, that are with him uh, to create what we're seeing in America now. Um, And, you know, if if this is not the country that you want to live in and the polls show it's not. Then you know it's important for everybody to understand why it is where it is and hold the people accountable that brought it this way. And that's you know I think that was a main motivation for writing the book. And so obviously I hope everybody reads it, makes me rich, and uh, and, and acts <laughs> on uh, you know some of the lessons that the book can tell.
0: You know something. One of my dreams is that I should I want to live long enough to see Barack Obama live long enough to be on his deathbed. Uh, of natural causes, of course, and the last thing he sees and hears are the is the laughter of children who are mocking his name, and everything that he has ever done to this country reversed and brought back to the way it was. Uh, during the time of the 1980s and perhaps the beginning of the promise of the Trump era. And that's that's my fervent hope. Anyway, Scott McKay, it has been a distinct pleasure having you on the show. The name of the new book is Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. It's all Obama, coming out uh, either now or very soon. Thank you so much for being our guest, and we definitely will have you back. So for CBD it's and for Scott McKay, it's J.J. Sefton for Cut Chibney's Letter Speaks. We will see you on the next one.
2: Thanks for listening, folks.